things this morning in the name of that wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're glad to be in the house of the Lord, would you affirm that by saying amen? What a great day uh, to be alive, and I want to uh, just commend you, church family, on the way that you're responding to the Lord and the way that you are uh, loving Him. Uh, the Harpers uh, send greetings this morning. April texted and said, would you please tell the church family how much uh, they've been a blessing to us this week? I know uh, last week when I was under the weather, uh, it seemed like there was just a lot of things going on here last Sunday morning, and uh, I hated to miss the baptism uh, of Miss Deborah and uh, just that fellowship, and then not being able to break bread with you all during the Lord's Supper uh, grieved my heart as well. But one of the things also that happened is right during service, we got news that April's brother had passed. And so you all prayed for them, and you've ministered to them this week, and they are grateful uh, to God that you've done that, and they wanted to send uh, just a word of thanks for how you have loved them this week and have encouraged them. They'll be back with us next week, uh, they said. They're there in Bowling Green uh, this morning with her mom and dad and their family, her sister-in-law's family, those two boys, and so we want to encourage you to keep praying for all of them uh, as well. And then for those of you who know Martha Hawks and have been praying for her, and she had like this latest state-of-the-art uh, technology surgery uh, last week, and she's come through that and was texting with her yesterday, and she said the same. Please tell the church, thank you for praying for me, and tell those uh, people who have done that that I'm well and uh, will be back here soon. And so we're excited for uh, Martha as well. And then uh, before we look at God's Word, take your Bibles and be turning there to Acts chapter 2. And this morning we're going to be reading verses 42 and 43. And then we're going to flip over for our proof text and just work through chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. And as you're turning there, I want to share a need with you all this morning. And I know we're right at the tail end of receiving Lottie Moon Christmas offering. If you're a guest and you've been here through that, you may say, Man, do all those people want to talk about his money? And we really don't. Uh, the only time we really do that is during the Christmas season for Lottie Moon. And then occasionally there's a need that arises in our church family. One of our single ladies, uh, HVAC, uh, has went out. She's been braving the cold and trying to heat her house with space heaters uh, for the last couple of weeks. And uh, we need $3,700 so that her uh, heat can be replaced, and I think it's already been replaced, and we just want to help cover that expenses. She's giving toward that uh, all that she has uh, in savings, which is $1,000 that she's going to give toward that herself. And so uh, this lady's a faithful uh, member. She's a faithful tither. She's uh, raised a daughter uh, here. She's just been faithful to the Lord. And uh, as I heard her story, I talked with Melinda about that. I let Kevin know uh, who that person was. If you say, well, who is it? I, if I know him and I like him, I may give more. I want you to give uh, to the need and uh, just know that. And so if you say, okay, how do I do that? Next Sunday, we're going to receive a chicken bucket offering. Uh, if you want more information about that, you can speak to Belinda or you can speak to Kevin or myself. But we're going to receive a chicken bucket offering because... We want her to be able to have heat, and we want her to be able to have air. We want her uh, to not have to uh, live in a, in a hotel during cold weather. Uh, we want to be able, as our church family, to help her uh, meet those needs. And so will you all pray about that, how you could give, so that we could underwrite that? That's sort of an unusual uh, expense, and so we just don't have a ton of money budgeted for things like that. And so 
uh, that's why we come uh, and appeal to you for a love offering next Sunday. And so, again, just pray about that. If you have more information or need more information, holler at us, and we'll be glad to talk to you and give you a few more details about that. But I wanted to share those couple of things with you today. Aren't you proud of when people follow the Lord in believers' baptism? Whether it was Miss Deborah uh, last week or whether it's Allie and Jameson uh, today, uh, we're just grateful for that. We're grateful for how God works and how God ministers and how God moves. And so there's a lot to do today. We want to celebrate the Lord now by looking at his word and considering uh, in our series how healthy churches uh, seek God through prayer. How healthy churches seek God through prayer. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 43. We're right in the middle of this series on healthy church, God's plan for a fit church family. How is it that as we move into a new year, and we're now we're into February, we'll be heading into the spring of the year before long, how is it that we can be the healthiest church family that we can possibly be? How is it that we can be the healthiest believers that we can possibly be? And one of the ways that is, one of the essential ways that we see in God's Word is through prayer. We talked when we began the series about ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit. This message is closely linked to that because we find throughout the book of Acts that when the New Testament church uh, was needing the power of God because whether they were facing persecution or opposition or whether they were needing to know how to minister to a group of people, they sought the Lord and as they sought the Lord, God would fill them with, their Holy, with his Holy Spirit. He would fill them with his power, and then they would be able to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then that second week, we focused on how healthy churches um, really concentrate and give attention to and focus on biblical preaching and teaching, how important that is. We just don't get up here and communicate feelings, although there's a lot of feelings we could communicate. We want to make sure that we're anchored to the Word of God and that we're uh, approaching the Lord in grace and in truth, in the truth of his word. And then week three, we talked about maintaining genuine fellowship, about how healthy churches, um, they, they seek the power of God, they uh, maintain healthy fellowship. That means they're together, they're spending time together, they're learning each other, they are ministering to one another, they're caring for one another they're focusing on the Bible, on preaching and teaching of God's Word, on, on biblical doctrine. And now we want to concentrate on how healthy churches seek God through prayer. And so read along with me, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 42 and 43, and then we'll flip over to chapter 4 and just leave that open, uh, if you will, and that'll be a wonderful thing. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So they're doing all of these things. They're devoting themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And notice the result and what was going on. Verse 43, all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now flip over to chapter 4 for me, and pick up in verse 23. And the context of this proof passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is, if you'll remember, 3,000 people had been saved during uh, the day of Pentecost or the days of Pentecost, but on one particular day, Peter preached and people responded. And uh, John and Peter were doing what they uh, were accustomed to doing, and that was going up into the temple, and they were going up into the temple to hear and to proclaim and to interact with the Pharisees and those temple priests. 
And as they were doing that, there was a blind man, or there was a crippled man, excuse me, who was laying there in chapter 3. And and as they interacted with this man, he asked of them for silver and gold. And Peter and John said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Now what you need to know is, this man had been laid daily there. He was in his 40s, and for every day of his life, at least his adult life, he had been brought to that same temple gate and laid there so people would come in and out. And the Bible tells us in chapter 3 that he was begging. He was begging for someone to have mercy and to give him alms so that he could have food to eat and just to have some sort of sustenance for living. And then we pick up in chapter 4, and you see that Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. They're brought before the high priest. They're brought behind uh, before the Jewish leaders. A matter of fact, they held them overnight. And they say to Peter and John when they bring them back before them, uh, because this man had been healed and God had done such a work in his life, they said to him, to Peter and John, we see this man and we can't do anything about this man because no doubt this man who's been crippled his whole life has been made whole. But what we can do is inquire of you, In whose name did you do this? And they were hoping that they would go ahead and that they would blaspheme, right? And they said, we did this in the name of Jesus. And so what happens is these temple priests and the religious crowd say to Peter and John, you can't do that anymore. We we forbid you to preach or to teach or to proclaim in the name of Jesus. And so where we pick up here is they go back, Peter and John go back, and they go back to the disciples who are gathered together, and that's where we pick up in verse 23. When they were released from this Sanhedrin, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, the group that Peter and John was with, when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, uh, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Forty-eight times in the book of Acts, it says that the New Testament church prayed. No wonder they were such a healthy church. No wonder they had the power of God resting upon them. No wonder Jesus was moving in their midst with the power of the Holy Spirit, because these people were responding to God by seeking him in prayer. The New Testament church, the early church, was a praying church. They were a biblically sound church. 
They were a church who knew that if authentic ministry would occur, they would need to minister in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. R.A. Torrey once said, You should expect great things and you should work for great things, but above all, you should pray for great things. If we want the Lord to be active in our midst, in our personal lives, in the lives of our family, and in the life of our church family, it's just really crucial, uh, it's just really important that we are a praying people, that we do not sleep, that we do not slumber, that we don't get lazy in that uh, part of our spiritual discipline, but that we are the kind of people who understand that God is a God who is sovereign and he's in control. We can't do anything without him, but through him there's not anything that we can't do according to the word of God. Prayer is just an essential part of being a healthy church. It's an essential part of us surviving uh, various threats and intimidations here for the New Testament church for persecution. If you say, but, but this was the Sanhedrin, Pastor, these these Peter and John, these disciples were not beaten. They were not imprisoned. A matter of fact, they were just questioned and then they were let go. Well, this is the early sign of persecution. This is intimidation. This is when people say, you don't need to act like that. You don't need to respond like that. You don't need to do that. We don't believe you. It's when people begin to try to oppose their belief system upon you and they forbid you to believe and practice what the gospel and what the word of God really says. And prayer is an important part of having God's word boldly proclaimed in great power. One of the things that thrills me here at Calvary when I come in on Sunday mornings after I've prayed and I've spent time in the word and I get here, I'll see uh, Todd and Mike gathered together normally in one of these corners. I think they used to meet in the student building but, or in the kids building, but now they meet and gather in the corners and they're praying. They're praying for service they're praying for God's power to be evident here and God's word to be proclaimed in great power. Uh, praying is an essential part of us being a healthy church. God does amazingly powerful things when a church prays. And so therefore, Calvary, we need to pray like we've never prayed before. And we need to pray very seriously. A matter of fact, I want to encourage you guys. Uh, Steve takes lunch every day somewhere between 11.30 and 12. And so normally there's no vacuum cleaners going on down here. But if you will call the office and will say, I want to come by and pray, there will be some lights on down here where you can see. And if you want to spend lunch break or if you want to just slip away and come in here during uh, lunch hour and pray, uh, man, Brian can just hit a button there in your office. Is that right? And these doors can be opened up and you guys can come in here and pray. I've been praying more since the fall of year, since the fall of the year, and we had that prayer class than I ever have before. It's no secret our church and some of our families have been uh, just experiencing a lot of different things going on. And I've just been praying and saying, God, it's your church. God, you know what's going on. God, we need your power, and we need the, the witness of your Holy Spirit to minister and move in unbelievable ways. And so... It is really, really important, Calvary family, that we understand the word that we're about to hear today, that we lay hold of it, and that we pray and we ramp up uh, how we are seeking the Lord in prayer. We will have the power that the early church experienced when we pray like the early church. I want you to look at Acts chapter 4 here and see an example of how they prayed. This prayer here in verses 23 down through 31, it's it's unbelievable. 
A matter of fact, if you were to time this prayer, which I did on my phone this week or really last week, and when you hit it and you pray through the very things that they pray through, it takes about 60 seconds. If you read it slower, it takes about 65 seconds to pray that, to thoughtfully work through that. But when this prayer was over that the early church prayed, the power of God was unleashed. These people were empowered with the boldness and courage to continue to proclaim the word, to be able to focus not on the threats of the Sanhedrin or the religious crowd, but they were able to focus on doing what God had called them to do. The main emphasis of this prayer that we have read and that we're going to work through today is the, the early church focused on the absolute authority and lordship of Jesus Christ. They prayed to the sovereign Lord. They approached God and knew that he had all things in control. And so as we think about that, that we will have the, the prayer power that the early church had when we pray like the early church prayed, I want us to look together and see how is it that they prayed. What was the makeup of this prayer? How did God lead them to pray? Look with me at verse 24 and notice this first thing. The early church prayed together. They were in unison. They prayed together to God. It says in verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. When they had heard the threats of the Sanhedrin, the report from Peter and John, they gathered together, they heard that, and what they began to do was to lift their voices together to God. Your translation may use the phrase, one accord. It's homo thumari. It means, a, it's a combination of homos and thumos, or thymos, which is meaning they were of the same temperament, they were of the same mind. They were with one mind, they were united in mind and thought with one purpose, that was to make sure that the gospel went out and that people heard the glorious good news that Jesus was alive and that he'd been risen from the dead and that he was Lord and he could forgive them of their sins and he could make them well. That's, that's the gospel that they were wanting to share. And when they came together, they all agreed with that. They were in unanimous consent. They were made of as one soul, which speaks of an action agreed upon, listen to this, unanimously with one impulse. What, what does that mean? Why am I giving you all of that definition of that Greek there? Why am I doing that? Because what was going on when you read the original is this. Their response to hearing that Peter and John was told, you cannot proclaim the name of Jesus anymore. You need to shut this thing down. We, we forbid you from doing that. Their instinct, their impulse was to say, wait a minute, that's not right. We need to go to God in prayer. Can I ask you a question this morning? What is your instinct when trouble comes to you? When it comes to your home? When it comes to your life? When it comes to, to your uh, occupation or vocation? When it comes to our community? Is your first impulse more than anything is it to pray, or is it to think, how can I fix this? I know oftentimes it has to be pretty, pretty large for me to say, Lord, we need to pray about this. Uh, oftentimes, if it's not very large in my flesh, which dwells no good thing, I'll say, how can I fix this, right? And, uh, and some, of you may be here, uh, some of you may be here today like that. You, you're, uh, 
something comes to you and you may say to yourself, how can I fix it? Rather than how can God fix it? What can God make of it? I'll never forget 9-11 when I was at the church and one of my church members came by. I was in North Carolina and, and uh, Pitt Phillips said, um, Pastor, have you heard that the, a plane has crashed into uh, one of the Trade Center towers? And I said, no, I have not heard that. And he said yes. And so he was going on home and so he left and I went over to the parsonage and I asked Tracy if she had it on and she said no. And I turned on the TV and just about that time, here comes plane number two, and it comes flying into that uh, trade tower. And so we watched that. We couldn't believe it. But just immediately, I went over to the church, and there were already two of our senior adults who had been at home watching that, who had already come to the church, and they said, Pastor, this is horrible. We need to pray. And just within probably a matter of two or three hours, people began to frequent the church, and they just came in. And they just wanted to pray. They wanted to pray for our country. They wanted to pray for a loss of life. They wanted to pray for this tragedy that had happened. My brothers and sisters, concerning spiritual warfare and mission, getting the gospel where it is not, sharing the good news with people who uh, are dying without Christ, it is vitally important that we come together with that kind of instinct, that kind of impulse, that we're crying out for the nations, that we're crying out for our neighbors, that we're crying out for people who have yet to come to know Christ. When was the last time your heart was broken for someone who was lost that didn't know Christ and the thought of them dying and perishing without Christ grieved your heart and soul to the point that you said, Lord, we need to pray about this, arrest their heart, uh, hold them captive, draw them to your gospel. Oh, how the early church prayed and they prayed together. If you believe it, say amen. I want you to listen to what MacArthur has to say about this little phrase, the early church prayed together. They prayed to God. When, when uh, Luke records, when they heard this news, they lifted their voices together in God. MacArthur says, perhaps one reason for the disunity in today's church is the lack of external pressure. He's talking about persecution. And the false unity being attempted through compromise and indifference toward true doctrine only compounds the problem by moving the church ever further from the true unity that comes out of confrontation by the truth of God's word. If we're confronted the world, if we confronted the world system more aggressively in evangelism, the resulting opposition would drive us closer together and enrich our mutual dependence. That real unity marked the early believers and their prayer times. You know what he was saying? This is what MacArthur was saying. Have y'all ever had snow days and you were stuck in the house with your family or your kids? Maybe you went on vacation and you said, man, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love us all being together. But you go to the beach and it's rained and you're cooped up. You played the 18th game of Uno You've played all of Catan that you care to play. And I mean, you're just wanting to escape, right? I mean, what, what starts to happen? What would you like? Would you like grilled cheese? I don't want grilled cheese. How about some Popeye's chicken? I don't want Popeye's chicken. How about some Tony's pizza? Do we have to have Tony's pizza? Hey, let's get together and we'll go out and eat someplace. No, we don't want to go out and eat someplace. Have you ever been there and done that? If I'm preaching to you today, will you say Amen. What happens when you're together and you're not accomplishing much? 
just enjoying the fat life of an American. What happens? You start to fuss and grind on each other. Yes or no? Yes? What happens when you come home and the kids are going to school and they're getting their homework and they're knocking it out? Your spouse goes to work, you go to work, you come in, the dog's turned over the dog bowl, somebody's cleaning it up, some other person's taking the dog out. What do you guys want to eat? I don't know. I've not had good food all day. Whatever you want to make, Mama. I'm going to make meatloaf. Oh, Mama, that's all God. Thank you, God, for meatloaf. And I mean, everybody's coming together, and they're coming together, and they're ready to celebrate. They're ready to have real unity. Why? Because the external pressure of the world has started to weigh on you. Yes? Here's what MacArthur was saying about this text. He was simply saying this. When as a church you start focusing on yourselves in here and we stop focusing on the Great Commission and the mission that is before us and that is sending our families to the uttermost, sending our children across the street, going wherever God wants us to go to share the glorious gospel, we're going to start doing this. Right? But when we have our mind on the mission and what God wants to do in us and through us, all of a sudden, instead of doing this, this is what uh, the Lord does. He cements us together. And now we're able to go out and do what God wants us to do. Praise the Lord for the external pressure that comes when we have a desire to make Jesus known to a lost and dying world that truly unites us together. So when opposition comes, we can pray together and seek the heart of the Lord. Notice the second thing, verse 24. The early church not only prayed together and sought the Lord together, but the early church prayed focusing on God's sovereignty, on the Lord's sovereignty. It says, and when they heard it, they lifted their voice together to God, and notice what they said. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And then he goes on, we're going to see in just a, a moment in the next point, how they began to pray the word of God. The early church prayed focusing on the Lord, Lord's sovereignty. John Stott says that before the people came to any real petition, they filled their minds with the thoughts of divine sovereignty. These Jewish religious rulers who had given them a mandate not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus were the most powerful Jewish force in all of Israel. Even though John was a common man, a fisherman, Peter was a common man, a fisherman, they knew the authority that the religious crowd had. So these New Testament saints, these people, the first church who had been born again, they go directly to the one. And in my notes, I have that capitalized. Capital O-N-E, one. They went to the one who had control over everything. So at the outset of their prayer, they acknowledged the absolute sovereignty of God, including his sovereignty over the threats from Jewish leaders. What are you saying today, Pastor? I'm saying this. Church family, we need to pray together. We need to pray in our life groups. We need to pray during church. We need to pray uh, throughout the week as we gather together. We need to pray together during our fellowships. We need to let one another know that we're praying one for another. And as we pray, we need to acknowledge the sovereignty of the Lord. I want to encourage you today and let you know whatever you're facing, God is greater. 
If you're facing cancer, God is greater than that cancer. If you're facing a broken relationship, God is greater than that broken relationship. If you are facing um, senioritis and you're just aging and you're not aging well and you're battling arthritis and you just got all sorts of ailments going on, I want you to know that there's going to be a day that this absolute sovereign Lord, that He renews your body. There's not anything that you experience in life that Jesus is not completely over. He is in control of all of that. And so the early church had the absolute confidence in the power of their God. They recognized that he was greater than any power that would come against them in any form. And so therefore, we need to pray this way as we gather together. We need to realize that God is greater. Pastor, aren't you just absolutely freaking out about the state of our country and all that's going on? I, I hate what's going on in our country, but I want you to know that it is Jesus who is our Lord, right? It's not a political party. It's not one man or two men or one woman or two women. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is essential. This word despot, despotist, it is that carries with it the idea that Jesus was viewed as the absolute Lord. He was the single, solitary, absolute master of everything. And here's what these disciples knew. We know him. We know him. And he knows us. And when we proclaim the gospel in his name, he moves and he ministers and great things are done. But preacher, you just have to know that tragedy happens and loss of life happens. You've experienced it yourself and it's just so gripping. And I want to say to you, Jesus is absolute Lord over our sin, over our death, and over the grave. I am going to tell you today, there's nothing like this wonderful, glorious Jesus. He not only can forgive us of our sin and wash our sin away, but he gives us the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm glad when I die here, that it's not the last you'll ever hear of me. I don't think I'll be preaching in heaven. I think I'll be praising in heaven, right? Uh, there's not going to be a need of evangelism. There's not going to be a need of discipleship in heaven. But there is going to be a need of adoration in heaven. Us worshiping the Lord around his throne. Can I ask you this question this morning? Is Jesus your absolute Lord? Is he... Your sovereign. Do you believe that he's greater than anything? I Can you hand me my phone, Mom, real quick to check? Can you? Man, this girl has just absolutely mesmerized me. I mean, I, I just don't know. I wish I could just like boom and throw it up there on that screen. You, you can't see it, but Caleb and Ruthie sent, sent us a picture. Anybody that's ever had my phone in their hand, for the last couple of years, my computer, Chicago Grizzly Bear, right on the front. Not anymore. Annie Elizabeth has stole the show, right? She is on here, and it says, Little Sweetheart for Valentine's Day. I can't wait to get up there. I, I'm going to be sneaking off up there as much as I can. And I just told him yesterday, I said, Next Saturday is your birthday. Will you come home? 
and come home on Friday. He said, I don't know if I can get home on Friday. I said, well, let us come get Annie, and then you come when you can, right? <laughs> let, let us come get Annie. You come, you come when you can. Now, I want to say something to you. Since the day she was born, and I read Psalm 139, when we were in that waiting room waiting for her to be born, and Ruthie had a long label, I just started working on a poem, Beautiful Annie. I'm going to give it to her when I, I get it all fixed out. It's not the best yet, but it's about to be. But I'm going to tell you something about this little girl. She cannot compare to Jesus. See, the thought of her being born and hopelessly dying without Christ would make me miserable. There's no joy in that. But the thought that God fearfully and wonderfully made her and created her, and he did it after his own image and likeness, and he allowed her to be born into a Christian family where she's going to be prayed for, y'all have been praying for, and, and, and where she's going to be able to hear the gospel. Can you catch it? And uh, uh, where, where she's going to be able to hear the gospel, the thought of Annie coming to know Jesus. Now that is altogether remarkable. If you understand it, say praise the Lord. So what are you saying, preacher? I am saying this. The early church prayed, focusing on the Lord's sovereignty, and that is what we need to do. Listen, I'm not peddling a myth up here. I got a lot of other things I could do in the lost world than being here if you think I'm peddling a myth. But this is the gospel. Jesus is Lord. And if we believe it and we go and share it, man, we seek Him in prayer, we can know the power of the Lord. The early church prayed to the sovereign Lord. I've got to hurry. You guys, y'all listen so slow. The early church prayed God's word. Look at verse 25 and 26. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, so this is Psalm 2 that I'm about to read, said by the Holy Spirit, Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The early church prayed God's word. Their praying was based solidly on the word of God. In this case, it's Psalm 2 and the word of the Lord and prayer was uh, intertwined together. It reinforces, this reinforces what Jesus said in John 15, 7, when Jesus said to his disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, the Holy Spirit's role in the inspiration of this Holy Scripture, in this case, the words of Psalm 2 which is clearly, if you read Psalm 1 and then you go to Psalm 2, you know it's a clearly messianic psalm. And so what they are doing is they're acknowledging that God's Spirit inspired the written Word of God. And the Spirit is the inspirer and the prophet is the instrument. So what does that mean? It means if we as a church are going to see God do powerful things, we must acknowledge the authority of Scripture, that they are completely inspired they are meant to be taken literal, which means Scripture should interpret Scripture. It has been said prayer is us talking to God and Scripture is God talking to us. 
And so when we carefully and prayerfully study the word of the Lord, we can call upon him and we can hold God's word up to him knowing that the word of the Lord, God will honor. See, God is not so interested in what we want if what we want doesn't line up with his will, if it doesn't line up with his word. And so one of the ways that we can pray according to God's will for us is by praying and lifting up the word of the Lord. And so as they're calling upon the sovereignty of God in unison together, what they do is speak Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. But now watch what they say. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the people of Israel. Now watch verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. My brothers and sisters, we need to be people whose faith is anchored in God's word and not in our feelings and emotions. Your feelings and emotions will lead to unhealthy assumptions that will get you in trouble. You need to know what God thinks about you. I want to say something about that. If you're a born-again child of God, I want you to know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of the Lord. He knows everything there is to know about you. God does not create junk. He's not finished with you. You are a vessel right now that is being made into a vessel of honor. And God has a plan for your life. And that is that he wants you to know him and worship him and love him and serve him all the days of your life. And that you would find true delight and joy in nothing else and no one else except Jesus Christ. And when you find it in Christ, then you can begin to look at the rest of life and say, this is joy because God makes it joy to my heart. If you understand it, say amen. I've been praying Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21 uh, since that prayer study, and I want to encourage you to do that with me. If you'll write that down, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. For this reason I bow on my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, this is what I'm praying for myself, I'm praying for our family, I'm praying for our church family, that according to the riches of his glory, that Jesus may grant you to be strengthened with power, that we would be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. What are we praying? That we be rooted and grounded in love. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is strengthening us and establishing us, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him, to Jesus, be glory in the church and throughout all generations in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Will you, will you join me in praying that for your, your family, for your faith family, that we would be strengthened according to his might, according to his word. I, I have to go quickly. The early church prayed for gospel boldness and power. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. The early church prayed for gospel boldness and power. They prayed that God would personally and closely look at their need. Where do you see that? Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That this is not a casual glance. This is not the disciples just saying, Lord, look upon us. They were saying, God, you closely know us and you are aware. You're, you're personally and you're very intricately aware of what these people are doing and what our real need is. And so they prayed that God would personally and closely look at their need. They prayed for courage to speak the gospel. They prayed that God would authenticate his word through signs and wonders done by Jesus. And they prayed that Jesus would receive the honor and the blessing. The early church prayed for gospel boldness and power. Church family, we need to be praying that prayer. Man, Easter is coming up. More people are going to come to worship on Easter than they, they will at any other time during the year, including Christmas. People will be open to the gospel, and we need to be praying, God, may our hope, may our faith, may it be anchored into gospel, and God, will you give us boldness to share the gospel with others. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to share the gospel with others. The early church prayed in humble obedience. That's the last thing, verse 31. The early church prayed in humble obedience, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. Have you ever been in such a prayer time that your very heart, your very soul was shaken? Now, literally, this means that the place they were gathered in was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The early church prayed in humble obedience. They prayed for gospel boldness and power. They prayed God's word. They prayed to the sovereign God. And they did that together. Church family, would y'all agree we need to do that together as a faith family? If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. I want to do something today.